And I turned it in uh, just a couple days ago. And I have no idea whether my editor is going to say this is great or this needs to be completely redone. Uh, it's just not something that can be done alone. Even great books uh, have a lot of read, read the acknowledgments of any book that you think is a great book. And there's going to be a list of 25 people who helped in one way or another. They read the early drafts or they edit, they edited it or they fact checked it. That was Seth Kugel talking about the process of putting together a great book. A New York Times frugal traveler on the podcast today. This is episode number 82 of the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Today's episode is brought to you by the Wet Fly Swing Member Society. Today's, uh, today's society provides exclusive discounts and access to innovative products and services from our member partner companies. You can head over to uh, wetflyswing.com slash members to check out some of the companies who are on board. Plus, you can support the show at one convenient location. In today's episode, I talked to... Seth Kugel, the frugal traveler columnist for the last five years with the New York Times. Seth breaks down the four categories of frugal traveling, the different, uh, the different feel of business class versus coach and air travel, and how you can discover how to find fake travel reviews versus the real ones. We find out how to stay safe while traveling abroad, why you need evacuation insurance, and a great uh, $50 tip to, uh, to avoid, uh, well... It's a mugging tip. You have to stick with it and find out to see more. Uh, don't miss this as uh, Seth shares a great tip on how you can cut a few hundred dollars off your next plane ticket. This episode is sponsored by Deli Fresh Design, an all-American creator of fine, sustainable fly fishing gear. Stay tuned later in the show to hear how Ross does his part with DLD to reduce waste and impacts as he builds a great company, great equipment in a sustainable fashion. You can find fresh equipment designs on Instagram at Deli Fresh Design, and you can get 20% off your next order by using the coupon code WFS20 uh, at DeliFreshDesigns.com. Uh, the links will be also be in the show notes. So, without further ado, here's Seth Kugel from SethKugel.com. How's it going, Seth? It's going very well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show. I... Um, you know, I, I heard you on, I think, another podcast a while back, and you provided a ton of great tips, and, you know, I just kind of, I can't remember how I reached out to you, but I just had to get you on the show, so I appreciate you coming on here. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, you were the, the frugal traveler, right, for the New York Times, or, or are you still the frugal traveler? No, I was, um, although um, right now there is no one currently in that column, so I'm actually doing some... Uh, occasional freelance stuff and I have a couple of articles coming out as the frugal traveler but but that's just me filling in while they're looking for someone else gotcha gotcha okay well we're gonna get into a bunch of uh, tips for people that want to get out there and travel you know the country or the world on a budget sort of thing but uh, maybe you can just talk about how you f became the frugal traveler it seems like you know obviously I think you're my first New York Times uh, you know columnist and um, I'd love to hear how you got to that that point in your life 
Well, I think that, first of all, like anyone who lands a really a sort of special job, there was a lot of luck involved. But uh, there's also were some prerequisites. Uh, I've always loved to travel and uh, was lucky enough that my parents took us on trips, at least a, a few trips uh, when I was a teenager. And I sort of got to learn a little bit from them that good travel is not about being in a nice resort and not about eating in a nice restaurant but about walking around and meeting people and going to see interesting places that are sort of uh, away from the crowds of tourists, whether that be in nature or a, a small town or a village somewhere. Uh, and then when I got out of college, I became a teacher in New York City, actually in the Bronx. And I, I worked with a lot of um, of immigrants, mostly from the Dominican Republic, which we have a lot of people from the Dominican Republic in, in New York. And then they, uh, a, a friend, they became, a few of their parents became friends, invited me to the Dominican Republic. So I spent, uh, you know, several months down there in very frugal conditions because they were certainly not uh, rich in their home country. And so that was a, a big influence on, on the way that I travel. Um, I also, uh, a little bit later, started getting into Brazil and did some very, very frugal travel. Uh, mind you, this is all before I was writing about travel. So this is okay. just as background mm -hmm. to sort of uh, – so I would take like a boat down the Amazon, uh, sleeping in a hammock with like 100 Brazilians all around me. And so uh, actually, and after after that particular trip, uh, I had been writing about for the New York Times, so mostly about sort of news and freelance stuff about the Bronx and Queens and various parts of New York city, um, that people don't know that much about. And it just turned out that, a, a guy who I had written a bunch of articles for had become the travel editor of the New York times, which is just one of those happy little coincidences. And so he asked me literally like days after I got back from my Brazil boat trip, he said, Hey Seth, um, have you been anywhere interesting recently? And I said, well, you know, let me tell you about this boat trip down the Amazon. And, uh, it became my first ever travel article. So I went from being just kind of a guy who wrote about local dues to suddenly being one of the travel writers for the New York times. And I always was writing about just cheap, adventurous travel. And then a few years later, the guy who did the frugal traveler column before me quit. And there I was, uh, he knew that I knew how to write and he knew that I could entertain people and he knew that. I liked this kind of travel. So he asked me, I mean, basically it's just about who, you know, and, um, the thing about the New York times, you know, which is, uh, you know, obviously sort of a legendary and sometimes controversial place is a lot of, a lot of getting to work there is about being dependable and, um, accurate and not making any mistakes. And if you can consistently be a good writer and entertain people and not make any horrific mistakes, then you're, then you're good to go there. And I think that he had known over the course of working with me for a number of years that I could do it. And uh, so he let me do it. And I wrote every week for about five and a half years. That's awesome. That's <laughs> yeah. And so you mentioned uh, entertain. Do you find, I try to, when I think about doing these shows, I can't remember where I heard it, but the three E's, you know, to entertain, educate, and uh, and get emotion. And if you kind of hit, I think I think if you get two of those three, you're doing pretty well. Is that the same thing when you're writing? Yeah. I never heard the three E's before, but that's, I think, very, very uh, good. Yeah. So you have to be entertaining in journalism because 
people just like in podcasts could turn off the podcast at any time. Don't do it. <laughs> That's right. But they could. Uh, so you have to be entertaining. Uh, the whole point of, um, of being a, a travel writer kind of a, for a, ser- a service kind of has a service kind of purpose. So you want to make sure people learn something from that. And then the emotion, if you can, uh, emotion is one of the reasons I, I try to bring a lot of people into my writing. So you'll never just mm-hmm. see me saying, yeah. uh, Oh, this hotel is really a good bargain. And, um, you know, this is a good place to eat for cheap. You're always going to have people, uh, populating my stories. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I do, I do try to, and I try to write really the way that I talk and the way that, uh, that I feel. And, um, mm-hmm. and so hopefully it comes across, my writing comes across as a conversation yeah. with the reader. So uh, cool. I try to create a connection that way. That's awesome. And, and you know, the, the New York times, I'm not even sure I, I don't get into politics on, on this at all, but you know, it seems sure. like today, you know, with the, the way politics are going, that it's, um, it's kind of crazy out there. I mean, I'm not, do, do you see when you were there, did you see changes where things were kind of getting out of whack where journalism became kind of a, a little wacky or is that just a new thing uh, these days or is that even a thing? Well, um, and maybe it's not you know, journalism. Maybe it's not journalism. I'm thinking like the, uh, the Fox news sort of thing where you have these, you know, um, you know, companies or whatever that are really focused on a far right or far left. You know, with the New York Times and and to a certain extent as well with Fox News, uh, the opinion and the news sections are are to some extent separate. I mean, Mm. in the New York Times, they're totally separate. So if you look at the editorials and people's opinions, uh, sort of the op-ed articles, then those are sort of the people who are allowed to express an opinion. And then if you read the news stories, those are people who are not allowed to express an opinion are supposed to be. Um, just reporting uh, facts and analysis, and uh, and to a certain extent, you know, Fox News is is the same. You have the the the, the guys on at night who have very very strong opinions, mm-hmm. and then you have news stories. And I think that uh, in both cases, the people who dislike the, uh, the either one of those right. news sources tends to confuse the two. And if you watch Fox News. If you watch just a regular news report on Fox News, it doesn't really sound so much different from uh, CNN or even MSNBC. But it's when you listen to the to the um, sort of extreme opinions on any, you know, on uh, on some of those networks, then you begin to. And so we don't we don't really pay as that much attention as consumers to the difference between opinion and news reporting. And uh, that's, I think, to a certain extent, that's the fault of the of the publications for not making it, it clearer. Uh, but I will say that I have not worked in uh, news reporting there for a long time, and I certainly never reported on politics, national right. politics. So, uh, you know, places like the travel section and the food section and the arts section, you know, these are these are a little bit removed from from those uh, gotcha. from. From that kind of reporting. Yeah, yeah. If they ever came to you and offered you a uh, political uh, beat or something like that, is that something you you would go for? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I I don't think I'm qualified necessarily. Yeah. But if they uh, wanted a frugal uh, traveler, pol- political analyst. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. Why not? Uh, I you know I think my opinions are are, are right. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, why not? 
Um, uh, sort of just joking there. But if, if, I, if I were to get a, a news reporting job, that, that would be something of interest to me. But as I said, it's not really what I do. You know, I'd also like to be a Hollywood uh, celebrity. That's right. But I, it's not what I do either. Yeah. Well, you're, you're closer to that than, than I am. That's for sure. I mean, your, your name, <laughs> your name is out there and, uh, you know, you yeah. Google up your name, a lot of stuff comes up. Uh, and, you know, the frugal traveler, uh, you know, traveling is probably the biggest thing that comes up. Maybe we can talk a little bit about, and I know you get this question probably more than anything else, but, you know, maybe you can describe what a frugal, what the frugal traveler is or what frugal traveling is. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question because the in- immediate image people will have is of just like a backpacker who's having ham and cheese sandwiches every day and peanut butter and jelly and Mm -hmm. staying in youth hostels and and that sort of a thing. Uh, And that is certainly an an example of frugal traveler. But to to me, what it's about is spending money on the things that are really important to you and saving money on every other element Mm -hmm. of of travel. Uh, And what that and the result of that is, of course, you get to travel more or you get to save enough money from traveling that you can still do the things at home that you, that you like. So, if, you know, if I divide travel into sort of four categories where one is uh, lodging, one is eating, one is uh, entertainment, and one is, tr- is the actual travel part of it. So you sort of, I, I, I always tell people to decide, you know, what's more important to you. If you are the kind of person who loves to eat in fine restaurants, which I don't know how many, this is how applicable that is to all your mm-hmm. audience. But, um, you know, then spend your money on food and stay in a, a cheap hotel and, and fly uh, the cheapest flight you can find with a six hour layover somewhere. Uh, but if you are, if the, if you're the sort of person that if you have a really long and uncomfortable plane ride, it's going to ruin the first three days of your vacation. Well, then take a direct flight, and if you can afford it, bump yourself up to business class. So it's really about making the most of what you care about when you're traveling. Uh, so an example I like to give is take take a you know a, a backpacker in I don't know in in Paris or something like that, uh, or um, even in like Los Angeles, which has so much great and cheap food. Why would you have peanut butter and jelly when you can buy? Good, cheap, not quite as cheap as peanut butter and jelly, but a good, cheap, you know, you can go to uh, Korean restaurants or taco stands in L.A. Or, or you can go to a bakery in, in Paris and just for like a couple dollars have a, a real French sandwich instead of making it for yourself on Wonder Bread. So that's the sort of thing where you don't want to be silly and not spend any money at all. A lot of times, uh, especially younger travelers, make it into a kind of a game where they try to spend as little as possible and like to compare how little they spent with others. And that doesn't seem to me to be the point of travel. Everyone has their own budget. Uh, you, you know, everyone has a different income. Right. Everyone has different savings. But the idea is whatever your level is and whatever you can afford to do, to do it and spend the money on the things that you really love to do and and skimp a little bit on the things that aren't as as important to you like uh, like i would i i mean i've been on business business class flights you know like twice in my life and it's really fantastic you know but i don't find it necessary in any way like i can survive a i go down to south america a lot and i I can survive an eight or ten hour uh, flight in coach Uh, i don't like it but I'd much rather take whatever the difference in money is, $1,000 or $2,000, and use that to make my vacation longer, use that to um, you know, hire a good guide 
as opposed to going out on my own uh, uh, or something like that. So yeah, gotcha. that's that's pretty much what how I would define uh, frugal travel: spending money only on the things you really, really uh, that will really, really make you happy. That makes sense. Okay, cool. Yeah, and those are four great ways to separate. I think for myself, I think the entertainment is the one I would I would spur- sure. splurge on, you know, and kind of I think the lodging, eating, traveling, I could probably do okay with. Uh, and uh, well, I mean, yeah. Go well, I was going to say, I know nothing about fly fishing, which is obviously something you like, but I'm going to imagine that there's a lot of different ways to do it and you can spend more or less money. And if that's what's important to you, then that's the thing to spend the money on, not not the not the Michelin starred restaurant. That's right. Well, and, and that's where we'll, we'll get into this here in a sec. You know, and I'm kind of picturing, you know, uh, Patagonia is a really popular destination for fly fishing. There's sea run brown trout and a lot of people are heading down there. But a lot of times there are some people that do the DIY stuff, but, you know, there's lodges and. And that's a great way to do it. Like you said, if you have the money, sure, and you want to do that, go for it. You know, you could spend a lot of money. But I want to get into today how you might be able to make your way down to, you know, South America and down to Patagonia, um, kind of frugal traveling. So maybe part of it is stopping by a lodge for a day or getting a guide or something like that. But the rest of the trip is just doing what you do best. So I want to jump into a lot about uh, a lot of that. But before we get there, you mentioned business class versus coach. Can you describe, um, you know, what it feels like being up there in the, uh, you know, in the the expensive <laughs> seats versus being in coach for somebody who's never been in the nice seats? What's what the difference? Well, is? you know, it's it's a funny question because every uh, every airline has different kinds of business class, but I've I've really only been on two business class flights in my life, so and, and they were they were not first class, they were not even so. There's there's certain airlines, especially the airlines like from the Middle East, like Emirates. And, uh, airline is very mm-hmm. famous for having very luxurious business class. But to me, basically the difference is, um, mostly when it comes to overnight flights, because in the business class, you can actually fully lie down oh, wow. in your seat. Uh, and to me, that's just incredibly, incredibly important, yeah. uh, to get a full night's sleep and not lose a night's sleep. Uh, the seats are more comfortable. There's more space. You're, you're not crammed in. They're designed in a way that you're not sort of crammed next to someone else. They're kind of angled in a way that you could almost forget the other people <laughs> are, are there, I guess, unless they start snoring or something. Uh, and also you have a flight attendants who pay a lot of attention to you. So you're never going to be like, sometimes I'm stuck in a middle seat on a flight to Brazil and I'm just so thirsty. And, yeah. uh, and I guess it could ring the little, little, bell or the light but i just so i feel so bad about doing that (laughs) whereas if you're uh in uh in a business class you can probably you're probably within eyesight of a of a flight attendant at every moment and you can just sort of get what you want the food is also a lot better um and (laughs) you know the the entertainment and the screen is they get better headphones all that kind of stuff it's overall uh people generally find flying in coach to be an unpleasant experience and that's generally true because they try to pack you in now much much more tightly than they used to whereas actually being in business class you actually enjoy your time in in the air and um uh, that's amazing. And I sure wish I could do it more often, but it's just so expensive mm-hmm. that it's just not worth it. You know, a little secret about a lot of travel writing is a lot of travel writers take free trips and the airlines provide oh, kidding. trips for them. So a lot of times you'll find what you read is about people going in business class, but they didn't really pay for it. Oh. And so then, of course, business class sounds great. 
because then it's a whole, it's just free luxury. But in reality, business class is usually very expensive and almost never worth it in my no, in my book. And that's the cool thing is that you're being the frugal traveler. You you're living it. I mean, showing you you've only done the the two time business thing. I mean, you're you're doing the frugal traveling and. So, I mean, yeah, that makes total sense. And that's funny, the travel writing or the travel writers and stuff. I mean, is that still, I mean, it just seems like from the outside, it's a crazy, uh, it was a crazy growing, like everybody's travel writing. Is that, have you seen a, a kind of a leveling off or is it getting flooded or what's the status of the travel writers these days? Uh, the status is that on social media, so uh, you, you have an incredible amount of traveling going on. Uh, so I'm talking about sort of Instagram personalities mm-hmm. and uh, YouTube, YouTube travel travel videos, uh, and then of course there's a lot of TV shows, Travel Channel, um, and the, the, the sort of traditional magazines are, are shrinking a, a bit. Uh, but the thing that to remember about any time you see a video or Instagram pictures or TV show is to think about you know. Are you seeing the real experience? To a certain extent, those are sort of about entertaining you. Like, oh, I'm going to watch this guy take a trip to, uh, you know, um, Patagonia or whatever. But then are they having a true experience that you would have if you did the same thing? And the answer is almost always no. (laughs) Uh, First of all, if you're bringing cameras along, the people who you're uh, interacting with know that there's a camera and know that they're going to be on TV oh, or on right. YouTube, Instagram. Yep. So they're going to treat you differently. Hmm. A lot of times they know in advance you're coming and they've given you uh, free lodging or a free trip or whatever. A lot of times people get paid to do these sort of things. So the, the local, I don't know, Argentina Ministry of Tourism will sponsor right. trips and they'll send people <laughs> to see sort of the best side of things. So you, you have a lot of what you see is not exactly what you will experience. And that's where certain publications, and the New York Times is one of them, who don't accept anything for free <laughs> uh, come come in handy. But also it's where you look at user reviews, you know, uh, where, pe- where real people have traveled there and then have written what they think. Now, user reviews can be a very dangerous, uh, you know, misleading thing. I do, um, you know, in, in my book, I have a whole basically a chapter about how to interpret user reviews and how to use them. Mm-hmm. But still, those are a, a path to finding real people's opinions about something that when you, I mean, especially Instagram is something to be very, very careful about. And I know this because I'm on Instagram too. Um, but usually you'll see these beautiful pictures of a place and someone raving about a place and, right. Uh, you just need to look very carefully to figure out whether that person paid their own way there and is really truly giving you an opinion or or is being paid to say what they're saying, which is often, often the case. Um, How many of those people do you think when you get on there and you, you know, you start following them and stuff that, you know, it quickly, you know, you realize like, yeah, this is kind of some fake stuff or not fake, but, you know, versus what you do, which is, it sounds like maybe you can explain a little bit of that, but you go in kind of undercover, right? You're just traveling and you don't, you're not letting, you're trying to, and I've heard, I know you've done some amazing, I've heard your stories about how you love to go into the, the local, you know, families and and get off the beaten path and, and it's, it's good stuff. So, I mean, I would think that if I went on to your stuff and dug in right away, I'd be like, okay, this guy's legit. 
but some of these other people that maybe aren't legit, can you find that, see that right away? Well, you know, first of all, at least under United States law, if they're being paid for doing something, then they're supposed to reveal that. Mm. Um, it might just be sort of hidden in one of the hashtags. Uh, you might see something like hashtag ad or whatever, oh. or you'll, or if you see in the description them thanking a hotel or thanking a specific, uh, to thank someone usually is sort of code for these people that gave me this for free or, uh, or even paid me to, to say this, um, sponsor, you know, if someone yeah. mentions a sponsor, uh, but usually as long as you know what to look out for then you should be fine. You'll often see people just sort of literally saying that my part, my great partners in, you know, in Turkey or whatever, my great, uh, I want to really shout out, send a shout out to this hotel chain or they're so great to work with that sort of thing. Then you sort of know, and it doesn't mean that the information is completely invalid. It just means that this is not what you're going to experience. So, um, you know, here's a great, here's a great example. And this is, this is an example I tell in my book as well. The uh, hotel, there's a hotel site that reviews, all it does is review hotels. And, um, I was reading it and I was thinking, well, this does not sound like, uh, an honest review of a typical hotel room. I was specifically, I think it was the, Budapest uh, Sheraton or Hilton I can't remember but it was in Budapest Hungary and the review was of I noticed right away that the reviewer had stayed in the presidential suite (laughs) and was raving about the views of the river and the huge room and the great amenities and and so I went into um, like hotels.com or or whatever and I looked up uh, the hotel and of course there's only maybe one or maybe two presidential suites, but most of the rooms are much smaller, yeah. much cheaper. You actually have to pay extra to get a view of the river. <laughs> uh, and you just, and so this to me yeah. was a dishonest review. And I, you know, and I got in touch with the, the guy who runs the site and he said, you know, it's, it's, we, the only way we can survive is if we take free, free uh, right. trips from hotels. And that's understandable. That That is true. That's the way the industry works. Hmm. But it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And if I stayed in this hotel, I just know I wouldn't have the same experience. Here's another little story about how I do my job. I was in the city of Salvador in Brazil. It's, I think, the third biggest city in Brazil. It's a really historical place. Uh, and... Um, and great food and all that. And I stayed in kind of a newish, a newish hotel, like a kind of a fancy new hotel. Uh, and I reserved the cheapest room possible. Uh, and it was fine. It was a nice room. Um, but it didn't have much review. It's uh, outside the window. There was just another, another yeah. building, uh, you know, 10 feet away or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, but I was perfectly happy there and it was a nice hotel. But then, um, because I had been in touch, um, uh, I was in touch with someone who actually worked with the hotel. They were a publicist that was giving me advice on what to do in the city. And so I said to them, I was staying in the hotel and almost immediately, um, I heard from the hotel and they, they said, Oh, we're going to move you to a better room. And cause you're in a room without a view. And, uh, and I said, 
you know, I can't do that. No. You know, this is exactly the reason that I travel anonymously yep. because you're giving me the kind of room that a typical traveler right. would stay in. And you're trying to move me to a room with a glorious no view kidding. of the bay. This is, it's right on this, <laughs> right on this big bay. Yeah. And it's going to be a bigger room and you're going to make sure that, you know, oh, uh, someone's going to go in before and make sure everything's perfect. So, you know, that's one thing. And here, and so, so I didn't do it. Another great example of, I have of this is one time as frugal traveler. In fact, it was my last article. Uh, I, um, well, uh, I, I stayed in a really expensive hotel. I decided I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to be the non-frugal traveler. And, um, you know, I, I, I go into the hotel and, and uh, you know, there's a, a, a package waiting for me in the room that's not mine. You know, it was for someone else. They, 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 there's these little mistakes that, that make all the time. But if they knew I was a journalist and writing about it, they would do a sweep beforehand and oh, make yeah. sure that everything was absolutely 100% perfect yeah so oh and That's then it. i like i you know and then there's uh, sort of just like they had this was in ecuador and they had these empanadas and like the empanadas were frozen on the inside a lot of times you know you you're just getting a whole different view of the place if it's someone who's going in as a guest of the of the management basically yeah. that sort of and lesson and you just have to be smart about that and and look at the uh, look down at the bottom of an article and and see if they it, uh, sort of reveal that this trip was paid for by someone. They really should be doing that everywhere in every article. It's sometimes hard to find. And in Instagram, read the description, read the hashtags. Yeah. See, see if see. Make sure you're getting. Make sure you at least know what you're yeah. getting. Yeah. No, that's great. That's so. Those are good tips and good stories. So I. I want to get in some tips and, and tricks and stuff here, but before we do, you mentioned your book a couple of times. I want to hit on that uh, Rediscovering Travel, A Guide for the Globally Curious. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, maybe just um, for for somebody who's never heard or uh, read the book, what, what uh, they can expect? Sure. Well, to me, uh, it's a lot of, it's kind of what we're talking about right now. It's my uh, my philosophy of travel with a lot of practical tips on how to put that philosophy into action. And I'd say that my philosophy is that travel right now is overplanned, overscheduled. Uh, people are expecting very, very um, curated or planned experiences everywhere they go. So it's kind of like the world has become a big Disney world. <laughs> when you go to Disney world, you know what you're expecting. You're expecting everything to be perfect and set up for the perfect experience and everything to go right, you know, but that's Disney world. And that's why people go to Disney world. The world is not like that. And the world shouldn't be traveled like that. It should be, a, you should be traveling in a much more spontaneous way, interacting with real people, um, having, real experiences going to places that aren't mobbed with tourists or at least going to them only when you know it's something you really want to see. And my book is just sort of a practical, practical tips for, for making that happen. Uh, you know, I, I always say that, uh, people's best travel experiences usually happen when something doesn't go according to plan. Like the story is always you get lost and you find something really interesting or you ask you, you, you randomly meet someone who takes you somewhere cool or tells you a really interesting story. And so, so then, you know, if you're, if the best travel stories are uh, things you didn't plan, why are you planning so much? And uh, so the book is about how to balance, you know, planning and, 
doing the things you really want to do, but also leaving open a lot of time for adventure. And then it gets into practical stuff like how to stay safe when you travel, um, how to judge safety. So for example, just as an example of that, people are scared of of certain things when they travel. They're often scared of terrorism. Uh, they're scared of plane crashes. Um, they're scared of getting sort of murdered in a dangerous city, um, or being mugged at least. And I bring up the point that the way that by far the most travelers die or are seriously injured is in motor vehicle crashes, not in planes and not by muggers and not in terrorist attacks. So that's just a practical tip is when you're renting a car in another country, first of all, be very sure you know the rules of the road, but also maybe rent a safer car, spend a little extra money, get a bigger, safer car, or even hire a driver uh, to take you places. Uh, when you take a bus from one city to another in a, in a more developing country, um, pay a little extra for the better bus company, you know, because, because so many bus crashes, there's so many bus crashes in countries where, you know, we're very lucky. We're in the United States. Um, it's not a perfect country, but it's certainly a place where most things work, where there are safety regulations, where there are inspections, where people get their brakes checked. You know, you go to a lot of countries and, and, and the roads become very, very dangerous places. And so that's, you know, a tiny little piece of advice that, you get in the book. I also, of course, talk about a lot about user reviews and how to make the most of them without letting them dominate your your preparation. But most of all, it's encouraging people to be a bit more spontaneous. And that, by the way, doesn't mean traveling somewhere with no plans whatsoever. It means, you know, taking your free afternoon and instead of looking at the top 10 attractions on TripAdvisor and figuring out which ones you should go to, it means asking around and say, hey, what's a really nice neighborhood to take a walk in? And then take a walk in the neighborhood and challenge yourself to talk to five strangers and sort of see what happens. So that's it. It's kind of a, a, a philosophy of travel that's applicable to all kinds of trips, all kinds of people. Um, it's non-judgmental. You, 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 can, you can be a person who is taking off for a year around the world with absolutely no plans, or you can be taking a very, very uh, formal um, uh, sort of bus tour with guides everywhere you go. And in either of those situations, there are ways to bring in spontaneity and to travel better. And that's that's how I'd summarize gotcha. it. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, no, that's – I think that uh... – Makes total sense. In fact, people that are listening to this are in, you know, probably one of two schools. Either they, you know, don't do the lodges or they do the lodges. And either way, if, if you do the lodge, you spend a lot of money for that sort of thing. That's fine. But, you know, maybe they could think about, you know, on the way down, maybe there's other ways to connect yeah. with some of the local communities. And, and sure. Uh, yeah. Or even within the lodges. I mean, I don't know anything about this, this world, but I sure have been to sort of other kinds of lodges. And you can... Um, you know, engage in more conversations with the staff in a certain way that it makes your 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 stay more valuable. Mm -hmm. And 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 or maybe these lodges are near some maybe there's some excursion you can do from the lodges. Then you know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't exactly. You know, there's a local village nearby, and you can express. You know, one thing I noticed when I was in the Dominican Republic once in a, in a resort, I kind of went to this resort on purpose because I these all inclusive resorts, you oh, know, yeah. in the <laughs> in the Caribbean. And I mean, believe me, 
uh, nothing wrong with that. And I sure like sitting on a beach and having a margarita as much as the next person. But I uh, realized, uh, you know, I was near a town in one of these resorts. And so I asked around in the resort. I said, well, can't I just walk into the town and have lunch there? And they sort of said, oh, my God, no, you, you don't want to do that. There's nothing there to see. It's dangerous, blah, 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 blah. So then, I mean, luckily, I, I do speak Spanish from from working with the uh, having so much experience in Latin America. So then I asked some of the, the staff that's not the front desk staff, you know, some of the, the people who are sort of doing right. the, the cleaning and stuff. trimming the hedges or whatever. Right. And they're like, yeah, go to this place. Just walk over there. It's 10 minutes away. And so I walked into the town and had a perfectly nice, nice. time. I mean, it, it wasn't like a, a life-changing experience, but it was nice to be outside of the resort and just just taking a walk uh, and in a place where the people who were, you know, around were not people I was that were getting paid to, to you know, to serve me well, that sort of a thing. Yeah. So there's always room in every kind of trip uh, to either add a day or two at the beginning or the end or even within – uh, the structure you've sort of uh, reserved or, or, or connected with to um, engage more people and and uh, and learn more. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, well, cool. Let's um, you know, and with the thinking, maybe a little bit on South America. Can you can you talk a little bit about just some maybe some general top ten or whatever uh, frugal traveling tips? I know you've thrown out a lot of stuff already, but. You know, just something where we, I, I know the list. I I love the the top ten list sort of things. Uh, so maybe the the things I don't know if you get asked a lot or the things that would be most helpful for just a general audience. Sure. Uh, well, people are always uh, just to talk about cost to begin with. If you look at Latin America, uh, there are certain countries that are much cheaper than other countries, and that does change a lot with uh, with politics and with economics and stuff like that. So like right now, places like Argentina and Brazil are very cheap places to go mm-hmm. because their currency is is sort of has declined. So, um, you know, that's something to look at. What are the costs? What can you get for the money? Um, and and so you can look at what cheap places to go. Another thing um, I would say is to do enough research that you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So, so for example, if, if you're going to Brazil, uh, the immediate thing everyone would think about is to go to the Amazon. Yeah. Um, but there's a whole other uh, section of Brazil, which is equally sort of enchanting and actually easier to visit and, and can be quite a bit cheaper. The Pantanal uh, wetlands, which is in a whole other part of Brazil, but has a very similar feel to it and i'm gonna just bet there's a lot of fishing down there yeah. as well yeah um uh it's very popular among bird watchers it's very popular among people who like to see like uh, the jaguars down there and it's just much easier to deal with than the amazon because in the pantanal in the amazon it, it's very inaccessible so you're always either taking a boat everywhere or really going uh, through some very inaccessible you know, maybe dirt roads to get into a, to a lodge or something like that. Yeah. Whereas the Pantanal is, is, is extremely more accessible. So that's, that's another thing. Um, uh, geez, let's see. What else can I tell you? Yeah, I've got a little, I've got some uh, things that, um, I, I wanted to ask you and it's on the same tip. So I think this is probably stuff that will come up anyways. I want to make sure not to miss, but you know, for example, like sure. I think you mentioned this a little bit, um, you know, well, I, I guess one is cell phones. That's probably, a, I know, a common question. Oh, sure. Yeah, when you go down there with cell phones, do you have a tip there on, on what to do? Yeah. Uh, 
I sure do. Thanks for bringing that up. The cell phones now are a lot different than they were even, say, five years ago. So uh, usually uh, what people used to do years ago is to buy a local SIM card and switch it out of switch their SIM card out of their phone and put a local one in so that you can sort of have access to um, you have a local number and you have um, sort of free data, not free, but cheaper. These days you can actually usually get away with um, keeping your own SIM card and getting in touch with your carrier and finding out what they offer down there. So uh, for the countries in in South America, T-Mobile and Sprint offer free international data. Um, so in other words, you can, um, it, you can sort of get your email and you can do some stuff online, uh, but it's very, very slow. Um, so in other words, you could probably use Google maps, to get directions, but you can't watch a video. Uh, but so my question is like, would you, do you really need to watch a video when you're on right. vacation? So when I travel, I, I happen to have T-Mobile, um, and I don't necessarily recommend it over the other ones, except for the reason that, except for the reason that I don't, I just have free data everywhere I go. My phone works. Uh, if you need to make a local call, you're going to be charged something like 20 cents a minute. But all of the places like, you know, Verizon, AT&T, they also offer relatively affordable plans uh, if you're not planning to use too much data. And I would really encourage people just not to use too much data. You know, or at least just use it when you're in your hotel room where you're probably going to have Wi-Fi. Um, the other thing is a lot of places you're going to be fishing in, in, in South America. It's not going to have cell service anyway. Uh, um, you know, uh, not unlike I'm sure the United States doesn't have coverage everywhere you're going to be fishing. Um, so if you're lucky, you have Wi-Fi. The, the, the one thing I would say about going to Latin America is you definitely want to install a WhatsApp messaging service into your so WhatsApp, for people who don't know, is essentially uh, it's a way of sending text messages and and videos and also actually talking to people that's not connected to your phone number. It's just over the Internet. And in Latin America, people tend to use that instead of hmm. um, instead of making phone calls regularly. Like for some reason in the U.S., this hasn't really caught on. And I think that's because our phone service has always been relatively cheaper but so in, in a lot of countries, though, it was used to be so expensive to send a text message and so expensive to make a call per minute that um, WhatsApp was developed. And there's a number of other messaging services like this used in other parts of the world. But WhatsApp is the biggest in Latin America. And what happens is everything sort of becomes free. So if you um, if you make a WhatsApp call on your American number to a number in Argentina, say, or Chile, uh, that's a free call. Uh, you don't need to worry about it because and, and in most cases now, even businesses and hotels will have uh, a WhatsApp number in addition to a regular phone number. So that can be very convenient. Also, when you meet people down there who are local, they'll almost always give you their WhatsApp number, which is usually just your regular phone number. But everything you do on that is free. So you can exchange messages. So so basically. Uh, having a uh, really good data and uh, is not quite as important as it used to be because people just tend to communicate over WhatsApp and you can definitely do that on these sort of low speed uh, 
um, networks that come for free with T-Mobile and Sprint and cost just a little bit more if you use one or the other. Um, now, if you really are going to be down there for a while uh, and you really, really are addicted to your phone uh, and you and you have a panic attack if, you, if, it's, if you're not connected, then maybe you want to think about just getting a local phone number. Um, but that, in most cases, is, is, not, is not necessary. This episode is sponsored by Deli Fresh Design, a company that makes sustainable fly fishing gear in the heart of Denver, Colorado. Deli Fresh blends old waders and recycled sailcloth with Cordura canvas to make rugged, river-tested gear such as fly wallets, sling packs, and my favorite, beer koozies. I had a great chat with Ross at Deli Fresh as I was blown away by his dedication to fly fishing and conservation. Here's a short clip of how Ross reduces waste with his personal actions and as a responsible company. But as a company, I'm trying to reduce my impact uh, by riding a bike or taking uh, the bus or shared uh, shared cars, stuff like that on uh, for commuting. And then, you know, yeah, when I go fishing, I, I'll get in a car, but I, I try to go with other people and and so I think there's things that as consumers that we can do on a daily basis, my own mentality of doing those things on a daily basis, like driving or, or riding a bike, uh, and then trying to see what, uh, what materials I can use that reduce waste or what I'm trying to do as a person and as a company. Pretty good stuff, right? Let's support a great company doing business the right way. All of DFD's gear will help you spend more time casting and less time juggling your stuff. To see these great products, go follow them on Instagram where you can see their latest designs. Head over to delifreshdesign.com and use the coupon code WFS20 to get 20% off your next order. That's delifreshdesign and the coupon code WFS20. I, I want to throw this one out because I don't want to miss it. And I'm not sure if you're, I know there's probably a whole websites that talk about just getting cheap tickets or, you know, but can you talk a little bit about a tip on? on airfare and and i think i heard that you maybe don't get a ton of miles because you know for however you travel but do you have some uh, tip there on on getting a good ticket yeah well um well first of all uh, flexibility is huge so if you're traveling over a a holiday it's always best if you can come back a little late or leave a little early right so Mm -hmm. if you're doing the last week before labor day and well, at least I'm in New York where I am, schools start the, the week after Labor Day. I know in parts of the country they start much earlier than that. So, but I would say if you can come back not on Labor Day, but that Tuesday or that Wednesday, if you have slightly, if you can slightly adjust your schedule, uh, that's going to help out a lot. So play around with different dates when okay. you're looking at looking to travel. Um, and a lot of times now the websites will sort of show you what the dates are that are are, are the cheapest. So that that would be uh, one thing. Yeah. Uh, another thing, and this is sort of a a real insider tip, is that often there are ways to get tickets outside of the sort of the prices you see online. Uh, and these are companies called consolidators, uh, and people usually don't know about this. Is that like a kayak? No. So kayak is a typical, uh, online travel agency or OTA. So that would be like a mainstream way of getting a ticket. I guess a consolidator is usually more like an old fashioned travel agent that specializes in a specific part of the world and buys their tickets separately from the airlines. Uh, and, 
so you it usually will depend. So if you're going to the Brazilian Amazon, for example, uh, I just happen to know Brazil better than there are two or three companies that will sell you an airfare cheaper than anything you can find online. Uh, if you call them directly. So one of them is, say, BACC Travel. But one thing you can do is whatever country you're going to, if you Google Consolidator and then the name of the country um, and you sift through the answers until you find sort of something that looks like a sort of a local travel agency or or maybe something you've never heard of and they have an 800 number, then if you call them, you can actually often get it, save a few hundred dollars on on your on your ticket. So that. That's just one thing that's, uh, you know, I, the, if you Google me and the word consolidator, you'll probably find a New York Times article from a way back where I actually did a test, uh, like made plans to go to China, Russia, Croatia, and I can't remember what else. And I looked for local travel agents that, um, that were acted as consolidators, and I always saved a ton of money by doing that. Usually what you'll have is travel agents that work with, immigrant populations. So if you're going to South America, you'll often find them located in, say, an area of the country that has a large population from that part of the country, or like Croatia. So uh, Croatia in Europe, uh, there's a community of Croatians not too far from me in New York City, and there's a small travel agency there. And yep, they have, they are consolidators. And I, uh, the ticket that I, got, uh, the price I got offered by them was less than half the price of the best price I found online. Uh, but that's if you really want to do a little bit of extra, of extra, of extra work. Gotcha. Okay. And what's the, um, you know, when you think about a, a gear item or something you take that you kind of don't leave home without, is there, is there something that is just a, you know, your, your go-to item you have to, cause you're kind of frugal. So you're going light, but there must be some, uh, some luxury items there. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not a big believer in like gimmicky travel stuff. I do have a really good set of headphones that I spent money on. Uh, that's especially important as, especially as you get older (laughs) to have noise canceling headphones in a plane. So you can, you can sort of watch movies. I, I, I I resisted that for a long time until I got to the point where, do you have a name, a company or a a model? Well, I just bought. I just bought the Bose, yeah, which is sort of a top of the line. It, I didn't get them while I was frugal traveler. I, yep. uh, but it turned out to be a great, great investment. They worked so well actually in New York City. I actually had to stop using them in New York City because I, I began to worry I'd be hit by a car. No kidding, or something like that I was literally in the subway, and if you've ever been in the New York City subways, it's about the loudest place you'll ever be. They're just the the metal crunching on metal and i actually had these headphones on and the train came and left and i didn't even notice it i missed my train uh because normally you'd want to cover your ears from the screeching when the train pulls into the station and from these headphones i didn't even hear it and i just found it in an airplane uh there's so much noise from the engine and uh and and all that that it's just an amazing thing to have the other thing that i I never leave home without is a good camera. I, I, I know people like to take pictures with their cell phones these days, but there's something about looking through the lens of a camera. Uh, and it, it sort of helps you see the world in a, in a, in a different way when you're actually just, uh, fully immersed inside of the lens of your camera and seeing, um, 
uh, it allows you sort of to see the beauty in a place that you don't quite see by just holding out your cell phone and snapping a picture. Uh, and so I, I sort of, I don't leave home without my camera, even though it's a bit bulky. The one little packing thing, uh, I, I do recommend is to use these packing cubes. I don't know if you know what these oh, yeah. things are. They're, you know, put them inside your suitcase and it kind of divides your suitcase into different parts. So you can put, you know, certain kinds of, you know, your, t-shirts in one and yep. your socks in the other and it's amazing because you know uh, before i used those my suitcase was just a big a big mess what um, was this back when you were i saw a thing there where you used to used to uh, recommend rolling your clothes up do you do you not do that anymore uh yeah i i do still recommend doing that um it's sort of it's it allows them to be. I mean, you can do that inside the cubes or not. Oh, it depends. Okay. If I'm going yeah. on a, a quick trip, then I don't I don't use the cubes. I just take my carry on. And if you roll it up, if you do a really good job, it helps it from things from not getting too wrinkled. Uh, but most of all, it's just efficient way of packing everything. Yeah, um, you roll it up carefully instead of folding it, well, unless you're really good at folding yeah one of the struggles with the fly fishing thing is you know you usually well not always but i mean usually you're bringing your fly rod which is a weird you know four foot long case you know you've got a you got your vet you got a bunch of gear so i mean would you have any recommendations i mean obviously i don't know maybe you could talk first you have a bag if you're just going with one bag that, that you like to use and then and then if you had if you had to carry on do you have any tips if you got a bunch of stuff or ways to minimize that um, you know, I might, uh, well, the, you know, I just was on a ski trip recently and that's kind of a similar, similar problem oh, yeah. with a similar shaped item. Yep. Uh, and I, I don't actually own skis, but I went with some people who did and, uh, you know, that's just a little inconvenience that you just can't get around, unfortunately. No. Uh, and I don't f- think it's a big deal to check bags. I mean, everyone always, there's like this massive massive movement to like no one should ever that's check right it. that's right so you don't you don't uh, you don't fall in that that line i unless it's i mean certainly if i'm going away for less than a week then i i wouldn't i then i have an rei i have this uh, bag i got from rei you know the the oh, yeah. uh, outdoor this yep. you know yep, chain yep. um which i just love it's um I don't know the model of it. Actually, I don't even think they make this specific model anymore, but it's so durable. Uh, it really, I abuse that thing left and right. You know, the wheels, I can't believe the wheels are still even turning after all, like sort of the rocky, pebbly roads <laughs> I drag the, the suitcase over. And that's a one that it's amazing how much fits in it. And it's just so tiny. It, it's the, the right size for, you do want to have a really good bag that you can check I mean, that you don't have to check yeah. in the airplane. And one of the reasons for that is, you know, even if you do lose your bags, which doesn't happen very often, then you, at least you have the, the most basic important stuff right. with you. Yep. Um, so that's that's really important. Yeah. Um, you know, I just did recently buy a larger size suitcase for travel, uh, for unchecked travel. I had for many years, I had this um, a suitcase by Eagle Creek. Oh, yeah. Which which was great. Uh, and then I just bought a new one that I, I can't remember. It, it, it just, it was like a, a very simple suitcase with like a shell outside, 
case because I had to go on a longer trip and I didn't want to, and, and uh, my Eagle Creek thing after about 10 years had kind of given up on me. It was, it was a little sort of behind the times, like it didn't have the four wheels and only had the two wheels and it was always falling over. It didn't balance on its side and all this kind of stuff. So I kind of gave up on that one. But I mean, you just really want um, to get, I think you should have one suitcase that, that is big enough that you'd have to check. And then one suitcase that's small, like the REI one and fits into the, you can bring it on the plane with you and then just decide before you go, you know, is, is it, do you really need the bigger suitcase? And if you do, then you go for it. And if you're already checking your, you know, your rod or you, you know, you have a lot of equipment with you, then, you know, just don't worry about it. I, yeah. I just can't stand all the stuff online about how miracle ways to pack. That's for, right. You know, for oh, you can travel for six weeks and, uh, you know, <laughs> and just bring your stuff in a, like a backpack, like a kid's school backpack <laughs> or something. I don't know. I don't know how people do that. Part of that is because I travel with I, my own equipment. I travel with camera equipment, usually a tripod. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try. I always bring my computer with me. And, you know, it's just too much stuff. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, so I want to have two pairs of shoes. You know, I want to have a shoes to go to exercise in and I want to have some nicer shoes, even even if they're just nicer sneakers to to get around, to get around. Yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. You mentioned uh, there uh, about the cameras. I have an episode coming up with uh, Brian O'Keefe, who does kind of his top tips on, um, you know, taking photos. He talks about fish photos and all sorts. But, mm-hmm. he, you know, he made, makes that same point that, yeah, phones are good, but it is nice to get your camera out and. And, you know, think about when you're taking your pictures, don't just take a snap. That's the problem with the cell phones is you're out there and you just pull it up and like, you know, get a phone, a picture. But, yeah. you know, when you take yeah. good pictures, you think about the picture you're going to take and you maybe, you know, and it, you start sure. becoming more of a photographer. And I think that's why the SLR cameras maybe make you think a little more, which is good. I so. think it helps you see the world in a, in a different way. Like, yeah. you know, if you're looking through the camera, I, I remember it was one specific, I was in Glacier national park nice uh and i was just there was this amazing landscape in front of me of a, a i was right at the edge of a lake and mountains you know just a classic beautiful yep. western landscape and then i was using my can i was had my camera though and i was using it, i was kind of looking around through the camera and i realized that the stones in the bottom of the lake it was kind of right at the edge so it's only like three inches of water were these amazing colors and the reason that I even saw them at all is because I was kind of looking around with my camera. So hmm. when I was looking into the water, I could no longer see the mountains. I couldn't see the sky. I couldn't see the panorama. I just saw the stones and I ended up, I don't even know if I would have noticed those, these gorgeous sort of rounded pink and purple stones if I hadn't had, if I hadn't had my, my camera. The other thing I, I will say is that the SLR cameras, uh, now, if you get a relatively new one, if you're so into posting stuff on Instagram or sending stuff to your family by text message, you know, these SLR cameras now just shoot the photos right into your cell phone. Hmm. You know, you, you just you hook it up with Bluetooth and yep. you just you open up the app on your phone and there's all the photos from your camera. So it's actually a trick to have post really great photos on Instagram. You know, you take the pictures with your regular good camera <laughs> And then there they are in your phone and you post them to Instagram and suddenly you look like a super professional photographer. There you go. There you go. There's another good tip. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we're doing good here. I've got a, um, uh, a few more I wanted to make sure to dig in before, uh, sure. you know, we get out of here. And one of them is on 
you know, this is just a general thing, but insurance. And can you talk a little bit about, for those that don't know, maybe they're traveling out of the country and, you know, evacuation insurance versus whatever else you need? Sure. And again, think of that like well, we're heading to South America on, on that trip. Sure. So the first thing you want to ask yourself when you're thinking about should I get travel insurance, uh, and I'm talking about regular travel insurance, so sort of medical coverage while you're abroad, is what kind of coverage do you have in the United States? So if you have a private health insurance plan in the U.S., you're almost certainly covered abroad. And But I said almost certainly. So you want to call your health plan and just see what's covered. And usually what will be covered is emergency emergencies. So if you end up having to go to the hospital in Chile, um, then they will reimburse you for those costs. Uh, now you want to also find out how that reimbursement happens, what kind of documents you, you need to get and all that kind of stuff. So the first thing is check what health insurance you need. If you are on, um, uh, Medicare though, or you have some other sort of government insurance, you're not going to be covered abroad. So then you need basic health insurance when you're c traveling abroad. And a lot of times tr basic travel insurance will do that for you. Now, evacuation insurance, I recommend for everybody, if you're going anywhere that's sort of, well, the sort of places you guys would be going far away from quality hospitals and healthcare and that sort of a thing. So evacuation insurance is usually pretty cheap. You know, often it can be under a hundred dollars. And what it means is wherever you are, they, if something happens, let's say you have, a, I don't know, either get a tropical disease and your life is in danger or you break both your legs or something like that. Uh, they will even go so far as to fly a helicopter in to get you out of there. Uh, or they'll pay for a plane. Let's say you're in a local hospital. They'll pay for a pl plane transport home. And I don't mean like a plane, like a regular plane ticket. I mean like a medical evacuation type flight. Uh, and that's the sort of thing that can cost like a hundred thousand yep. dollars if, if you're, and so you're talking about the sort of thing where you're going to places, look, the world is, is a dangerous place. Not everything is as well organized as it is in the United States, especially if you're in South America and things might not work. The hospitals might not be that great unless you're in a big, big city. And so this is your insurance. Like, Oh my God, you, you, your life is in danger or your health is in serious danger. Uh, you can call or your loved one can call your travel companion can call and they'll just guide you through everything. And the reason that it's relatively cheap is hardly everyone, anyone yeah, ever has to use it. use it. But, but what a blow that would be if you have to decide between I'm going to I'm, I have some sort of a, a disease and I, I don't know if I'm going to get better. And am I going to spend one hundred thousand dollars to get right. flown back? Ha Who has that money to spend? No. Have you ever uh, have you ever had to use it or I've never had to use it. Um, and I th and I I've think of I think of uh, one thing that people sometimes at least I know in up here you know when, when they're in the U S in a remote location you can get you know like an EPIRB, a locating beacon sort of thing where when you're really sure. remote you push the button and they send in the helicopter so down there or wherever you're at out of the country is it I guess it wouldn't be the same sort of thing how, do you know how that would work 
Well, you can definitely get. I don't. I'm not know the specifics of that, but no, that that's sort of. I guess not. Not. Oh, that's not in this particular kind of evacuation insurance. I think of that as like when people go in uh, on boats, for example, or like crossing the ocean or that sort of thing. So I'm sure those exist worldwide and you should actually probably ask the evacuation insurance folks. And I'm sure they know the answer to that question because that's such a closely read. It's a good, I'm going to look that up though. I never, I never really considered that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a, definitely. I I've had to. I've done it a couple, or not done it, but I've had the had that ability, and it, it definitely a good peace of mind. And in fact, I just heard of another story of somebody who they were up at a lodge, and I guess this gal just couldn't handle it. You know, it was so remote, so nasty. You know, so you know, it's just in these room, and she was just like, "Man, I got to get out of here. This is I'm freaking out." And they're like, "You know, it's going to cost you thirty grand or something." And you know, and she's yeah. like, get me out of here. I'm just, she was losing it. Wow. So, so they got her out and I'm not sure if she had the evacuation insurance, but she might, she might've had, well, and I'm not yeah. sure, sure that would have covered. Oh, right. Sure would've... Yeah. But, right. But the thing is that you, a peace of mind is what it's all about because of course, probably nothing's going to happen. But if you are worried enough, uh, it's going to ruin your trip. If you sort of thinking at every turn of, around the corner or oh, whatever, yeah. or every moment, like, oh, my God, the mosquito bit me. Does that mean I'm going to die of malaria? Yep. Well, at least you know you're not going to die of malaria. You know, you're going you're gonna to make a phone call or radio in or something like that, and somebody's going to come get you. It's, a, it's actually like a real privilege we have as travelers because, of course, the local people, wherever we're going, don't have that, that, uh, hmm. that no. ability. No. Uh, but it's just a luxury we have uh, in being – uh, Americans or being in from a developed country, um, as I'm sure your podcast is heard by people around yep. the world. So right. Just it, it is, it is. Yeah. We're, oh yeah. Uh, we got uh, people on every, every part, but no, it's I'm sure 99. I'm but sure, it's a privilege. Yeah. <laughs> it's a privilege to be able to have that sort of, um, peace of mind. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's, you know, that's the way the world works. So if you're, if you're able to afford travel, uh, you, you know, spend a little bit extra for that peace of mind can make your trip a lot better. Yeah, and it also can make your mother less worried. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's almost uh, it's almost Mother's Day here right now, so that's uh, right. That's a that's a good point. Um, so yeah, and, and that's a good. I mean, we're talking safety here. Do you have a just a general another safety tip that you might think about when when people are out there traveling? And and, and I'm thinking the same thing. I'm I'm trying to get down to this lodge down in in South America, but maybe before I get there, I've got a week or two that I'm just going to plan on working my way down and who knows, maybe that's, you know, planes, trains and automobiles sort of thing. And do you have any tips on yeah safety? Well, As I I said before, you want to be sure when you're in a foreign country, especially a less developed country that you vet any brand uh, or any uh, local airline or any local bus company to make sure of their safety records. Mm -hmm. And you also want to use your head. If you see that, if you buy a bus ticket and then the bus comes along and it just doesn't look safe, then, you know, don't get on it. Uh, if, you know, unless you're really a young adventurer and you just want to say, screw it. But, uh, so there's that also do not be fooled by other travelers who say, Oh, I've been there and nothing happened to me. So, You'll be fine. Uh, that's that's really uh, non-logical thinking because a risk is something that happens to say one in a hundred people. 
And if, if it happens to one in a hundred people, probably the people you talk to are not going to be that one in a hundred people. Well, so don't ever believe other travelers about how safe something is. You want to try to really look into, um, the source and figure out from local people, you know, either, uh, whether a certain company is good enough to transport you somewhere or whether a certain neighborhood of a, of a city you're in is dangerous and that sort of thing. I mean, one little tip I, I follow myself is if we're talking about sort of urban settings and being worried or even sort of rural settings yeah. that you might be worried about, um, um, uh, sort of people, I don't know if the word is sort of carjacking you or right. stop kidnapping you or, or whatever, that sort of thing, which does happen is to, uh, I, I like to carry either a, a US $50 bill or $100 bill with me in my wallet everywhere I go. And the reason for that is you can't spend it because there won't be, um, you know, that's not the local currency. Mm -hmm. But if someone does mug you or something like that, at least they'll have something that they can be happy with. And so you don't mm -hmm. sort of, you don't end up with like something going wrong or them taking you at gunpoint to the ATM. All right. Like, Oh, a hundred dollars. That's pretty good. Yep. And be on, on their way. I mean, the, you know, that's just something I do. I, it's not, I've yeah. never had to take advantage of, you know, never had to use it. Thank God. But so that, that, that's one thing. Um, gotcha. and hmm. sometimes in, in local hotels, they're a little bit obsessed with safety. So they'll say, definitely don't go over there. Uh, you do want to, you want to, sort of measure that against what other people say. If you, if you, if you are staying, if you meet some local people, I trust a local friend's word over the local hotel clerk's word <laughs> in terms of what you can do and what's safe and what's not. Uh, there's also, um, there are apps now sort of traveler safety apps, which will alert you if there's any sort of say political demonstration, <laughs> going on i don't have the name of any of them off the top of my head but mm -hmm. they're easy enough to find okay. they're kind of tourism travel safety apps and they'll alert you um so just always be aware of the news it's always amazing to me like you can be that you can visit a country and not have any idea that that um you know there's a violent demonstration going on in a certain part of town and you would never know about it just because you don't speak the language and you're not following the news okay. um, but these are apps that will alert you if there's something going on huh that's cool yeah. oh and one yeah. thing one final thing uh, you know if you don't have a way to have a local friend and check it out then you can always ask online forums about this you know there's tons of travel forums mm -hmm. I mean, even TripAdvisor has it you can write in a question hey i'm going to be in santiago chile is it safe to walk around at night <laughs> and if that question hasn't already been answered um probably someone will come in and answer it it's just sort of like the wonders of the internet is you can get your questions answered of course you don't want to believe everyone who writes in with an answer, but you know you can get a sense of whether they know what they're talking about. And if five people send you the answer, then you can kind of triangulate and figure out what the real information is uh, from those five answers. Yeah, that's that's another good tip. Okay, and and I'm not sure, um, you know, travel tips for for kids. I'm not sure if you have kids or if there you have a good resource where you direct somebody if they wanted to do the same sort of trip, but maybe take the the kids along. Do you have any any tips or suggestions there? Well, I, I don't have kids, but I uh, have traveled with my nephews a bit. Uh, I highly recommend taking kids with you on your trips. And the reason is because that's why I became, 
developed such oh, a yeah. love of travel is from traveling when with did, my parents. When did you start again? When, when was the first trip? When I, was about, when I was about 10. Is there an age? So, Do you think no, there's a certain age you should wait until you get the kids out there? Well, you'll find a lot of sort of YouTube channels with of, of people who travel with their kids all the time and would say no. Um, but on the other hand, I, I'm not so sure that before age six or seven, people, kids are really going to remember much. So it, it's just a sort of, is it worth it to you? Like it, it, there is a sacrifice involved with taking kids along, especially young, younger kids, uh, because you're, they'll slow you down and they need, they're, they're not as flexible about trying new foods, obviously. And they're not as comfortable sleeping in, in beds that aren't their own. Um, so I, 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 you know, I'm biased maybe, but I think my parents did the right thing. My brother was eight and I was 10 and we started traveling and I think we could really appreciate it. I still, you know, this is now like almost 40 years later and I still remember those trips and I have the photos from those trips. And, uh, I, you know, remember we went to London and that was the first trip. And I was just so amazed at how different everything was in London. Now to me, London, you know, it's about, it's the most similar to the U S they all speak. Everyone speaks English. People kind of have similar sense of humor. The food is at least recognizable. It's not crazy, but you know, that made a huge impression on me back then. So I definitely encourage taking your kids. I also say that, you know, when you take your kids along, it's not a reason not to be slightly adventurous. The kids may complain, but you just have to, you know, you have to, they're going to learn from the way you're traveling, you know? So it's not like, Oh, I'm traveling with my kids. So I have to go to, you know, universal studios, universal or Harry Potter, uh, you know, this sort of things made for kids. Uh, it obviously depends, you know, who your kids are, you know, how patient they are and how much they can take and how open they are to new things. But I wouldn't change your trip too much because your kids are yeah well i think you know if you're uh you know i can tell you from being a parent myself you know one of the good tips is that uh, and you you kind of set yourself at the start is be flexible and don't try to plan everything out you know make sure you know realize the kids are going to have a breakdown and you know you might have a day you just have to you know not do anything so so i think those are definitely good tips sure yeah. You know, it's one, it's amazing. Like the world is unpredictable. And if you bring your kids, then it's suddenly even more unpredictable. Yep. And it takes twice you know, as you long. Just, <laughs> you just can't, you can't people, uh, you know, I'm always reading that the, the people benefit. So they love planning trips and they spend a lot of time planning and they spend a lot of time planning everything. And yet I, uh, yet nothing ever goes exactly as planned. So you can't expect that to happen and you have to be ready for it. And, and there's going to be inevitable disappointments on every, every trip. I mean, it can rain, you know, that's right. It can yeah. rain everywhere. Well, you know, and that, that can ruin your day. And not all that you, you hit on with fly fishing, rain can blow out rivers. And if, if the river goes Brown, you can't fish. So that'll be a, a this is why the tips could come in handy for somebody that's going on their trip. Now they can go. And even if it blows out, you can still have a good time with your, with your, uh, your tips here. I, I did want to get into, um, before we get out of here, you know, kind of the, bi- the biggest, um, you know, maybe uh, misnomers for frugal traveling. Do you, are there a couple big things that you hear about that are just kind of, that aren't really true? Um, let's see. Or maybe, or maybe, you know, I, I guess you've talked about some stuff that people have, uh, you know, like the, you know, Instagram where people aren't even, it's not even a real experience, but you know, if, if I'm making my way down to Argentina, 
you know, have we covered everything as far as what I can expect, you know, coming up? Um, well, you know, I guess the thing I said before, which is that, uh, you know, don't, don't be worried about splurging on a specific meal or on a specific luxury if that's what you really need. I would say I would caution people a little bit about something like Airbnb. Um, if you're going to stay while you're – Airbnb is a great um, tool for travelers. It's usually cheaper than staying in a hotel. It's uh, Often you have an experience of staying in a real person's home. I would just warn people who do Airbnb like not to really expect it to be a real local experience um, because Airbnb is such a commercialized thing now. You have a lot of apartments and homes that people are just setting up for tourists and going. So if you're expecting – a real local experience by staying with Airbnb, then you have to look very carefully and choose very carefully where you stay. There's also this bad Airbnb. You need to read those reviews very, very carefully. So don't be tricked by how cheap an Airbnb might be compared to a hotel. Um, the other thing is a lot of people, there are last minute hotel booking tools that look for last minute bargains. And so people are obsessed with like this one app called hotel tonight. It's kind of the most famous of let's book something at the last minute. If something goes wrong. And I would just, I would just say that now all the major hotel booking sites have, that element in them. So don't be too caught up in any one app these days. There's no miracle app for saving money and finding good hotels or finding cheap plane fare and that sort of thing. And then um, I, finally, I would, I would just say that the idea that you can plan everything yourself is not always, uh, it's not always right. There are certain kind of trips where a travel agent can really help you out and often not, not for that. Not for that, not that expensive. So one of the examples is the consolidators I mentioned before, but also um, sometimes you just want to leave a trip. And I'm sure that there are agents who specialize in fly fishing trips and have a lot of insider tips. And instead of trying to book every single element yourself, well, they might know a lot better about how to plan and how many days to, to spend in a certain place and what to do before and after. So don't be tricked into thinking that you have to do everything yourself because once you start researching, it can be a total like it can be a total time suck and overwhelming and you don't really know. And sometimes you just need, you know, you just need an expert to help you out. And sometimes that's worth the extra money. Yeah. Cool. And what is, you know, when you're out there as far as money spent per day, I, I know you've written about this, but, you know, what's the lowest? What's the average you think when you're kind of doing the frugal traveling that you, you talk about? Well, of course, it depends entirely on where you are. Yeah, say you're doing that that same that trip down to South America somewhere down. To, well, you meant I mean Argentina could be could be a place. So Argentina is pretty cheap. I mean, you can definitely get lodge like well, let's uh, you know, of course, the fly fishing thing is is, is all yeah. geography dependent. But but let's say you're in a town or a city, um, you know, you can definitely find places to stay for well under a hundred dollars a night for okay. example which in new york city you're lucky to find a place that's under 200 dollars a night and it's not going to be very good um i can you can definitely eat for under ten dollars a meal for sure uh -huh. um you can go to markets and spend even less than that uh there's always tons of free stuff to do in every city i used to do uh, a regular feature called the hundred dollar weekend and that was just for one person um, 
So you have to calculate it depending on how big your, your group is. But um, And that was a bit too much. So the $100 weekend didn't include uh, lodging. So it was $100 spending money for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I found that to be tough to do. Um, so certainly, I think if you set a, a, a budget at $100 a day, then you can almost certainly do that. If you include lodging, uh, again, that we're talking about, I'm always traveling alone for work. So then I always try to think about a couple. So lodging is great for a couple because a couple obviously just needs, doesn't need any more lodging than a, than a, a solo traveler. So if you're thinking about a couple hundred bucks a day in, in South America, um, you're probably going to be fine. Uh, of course, it depends on your standards again. Like I need a place that's clean and safe and has a bed with a relatively comfortable mattress. But other people, you know, they need to have a, a good restaurant and bar in their hotel. And they need to have really like a tent of service. Like that's just not for me. I just don't need stuff. So it's all going to really, really depend. Um, I use, you know, I use booking.com as, uh, to, to book hotels. And you can, uh, you can, or really on any of these sites now, you can filter for the amount of money. So you can see right away. Oh, on the dates you're going in Buenos Aires, uh, there. if you look on the left, you can see, oh, there's um, most hotels cost between, I don't know, just making this up, between $70 and $110. So then you get the idea, okay, that's an average hotel. Uh, so then if you're willing to go a little cheaper, then you filter it for the hotels that are under $70. Um, and you can do it that way. Then you just need to make sure the location is, is okay. Uh, it's not in a, sort of a, a sleazy neighborhood or something like that. So, uh, you know, I'd say look for what the, the biggest cost once you are somewhere is going to be your lodging. And if it's in a, a Latin America, you can almost always get a, a pretty decent place for under a hundred dollars a night, even in the big cities, uh, if you're willing to be a little flexible. And then you can also do Airbnb for for well under a hundred dollars a night. So then once you've got that, then you sort of project out. Like it's always going to be cheaper to eat out, um, at least these days in Argentina and Brazil uh, and maybe Chile too. I'm not sure about the economy in Chile uh, than it is in a city in the u.s any city um so you know you just kind of you, you got to do your own calculations i mean does does if you're going away for a week and you've already you know paid for everything else and you have a week you know how much money do you want to spend divide that into the number of days and then look online and see whether that's possible um you know you can certainly uh if you get an airbnb uh, then you have a kitchen then you can, you know, it's really fun to shop in local supermarkets and see what kind of crazy stuff they have. So it's, it's a, sometimes it's fun to, to, to cook, on, cook for yourself on these trips, and also that saves a lot of money. Um, so it, it's incredibly variable. There are people that will spend $1,000 a day because they'll spend $5 a day on a hotel, and then they'll want to go to a really good restaurant, and then they'll want to take taxis everywhere they go. Um, and then there's people who can get away with $50 a day. Uh, you have to decide on what's right for you. And like I said, the best, one of the best ways to do that is to go onto one of the hotel sites and just look at what sort of the average cost of a hotel is. And you can assume that that's kind of an average hotel. And then you can either bump it up if you think that's not good enough for you or, or as I do bump it down because I know that uh, just I can I can choose a place that's maybe half the average cost. I just need to make sure it's in a decent neighborhood 
And you can tell that by, you know, where the attractions are in the city, where the restaurants are, uh, where the other, where the good hotels are. And you can kind of see where your, this place is related to that. Uh, and then once you, once you got that, you know, you can almost get away with spending 20 bucks a day. If you really don't, if you just want to walk around and go to the supermarket and buy some food. Uh, so you want to tack onto that, like, well, okay, I'm going to New York. I want to see the Statue of Liberty. Okay, so for a family of four, that's going to cost over $100 to get there. You know, so it just sort of depends on, on what you want to do. It's all very flexible, but you, as long as you do your your research and um, think about what's important to you, then you should be able to figure out a way to do it for relatively yeah. cheap well, and, and you mentioned there i mean just at even at 200 dollars a day that's you know a week for 1400 a couple weeks for 2800 you know about 3000 bucks that's still reasonable and maybe add on a, a yeah. couple days with a guide you know that might cost you another sure. thousand or so i mean you're still under five thousand for you know two weeks probably and that's that's an average you could probably make that cheaper so so cool. Well, Seth, sure. we're definitely sure. not going to be able to get into everything I wanted to. I have a quick little rapid fire round of if you have a, a few more okay. minutes. Sure. sure. Um, so yeah. So I guess the the first thing, and I I've, I was looking at some of your your YouTube stuff out there. It was pretty funny. Uh, you know, one of the things that reminded me of myself in that um, you know the gray hair. I, I saw some things back in twenty twelve or whatever where you had a nice uh, black oh, head yeah. of hair, and oh, and oh, like yeah. like myself, I start to look up and I'm like, man. That gray hair sure comes in. What what these sure days, does. What, what what these days? What gives you gray hairs? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what does. Being a freelance writer and trying to make a career. No it, kidding. Trying to figure Is out what direction. Of. Yeah. Uh, well, anyone who's self-employed knows that that is it is very stressful to figure out what you're going to be doing in a year or two years or three years. Um, so you know, there's no job security even for even for me. And, uh, so yeah, I would say that that's, yeah, that'd be my number one, yeah. number one source of stress. There you go. There you go. And I've talked a little bit about it on, on this show. It's, it's funny, you know, we kind of joke about it, but in fly fishing, it's such a tiny niche, you know, that it, you yeah. know, it is a struggle to make, you know, you imagine what you do is a lot bigger niche. Um, in fly fishing, it's very small and it, it, you know, you got to really, it's, it's a struggle sometimes to make money, but I mean, how do you, sure, so how, how do you currently make your, your, your living? Is it through your, you're just writing for articles and, and publications? Well, I gotta, I gotta, uh, you know, I have book, book sales. So mm-hmm. I have uh, the book came out and you get an advance on the book and, and that sort of thing. I have a freelance, um, uh, articles that I do, mm-hmm. uh, now, and I make actually money off my, my YouTube channel that I do for Brazilians. Oh, yeah. Um, so I have this channel about sort of the United States and how to understand the United States and how to travel to New York and that sort of stuff. And I have sponsors for that as well. So it's kind gotcha. of a combination of those three. Uh, however, I wouldn't mind uh, getting a big network TV show. That would certainly That's solve right. the longer term problem. Well, are there, you know, when you hear the the frugal traveler, I mean, is there just thousands of people out there that are frugal travelers that are blogging about and everything? Or is it? You know, it seems like your your name yes. comes up first. Is that is that true, or are there a bunch of other big names? Um, well, I think that there's sort of two categories of things. There's the people who write for publications like I do, and then there's the people who are really popular on YouTube, essentially, or or on other social media. So there's lots of people on YouTube to follow. Um, but again, I, I you always have to. Some are really really good, and some are just flashy and you know, um, showing you 
the world as it's being shown to them by their sponsors. So you have to be really careful. There's tons of great information out there. Uh, you just have to be very critical in looking at it and saying, okay, is this real? Is this not real? How much do I trust this person? And, um, and once you trust somebody, uh, you know, and especially if you trust somebody and then you take their advice and it turns out to have been correct, well, then you want to stick with that. You want to stick with that. person. Like certainly a lot of people differ with me on one thing I remember is when I was new to the frugal traveler column and the guy who left had a lot of fans and I remember the comments coming in when I started and half the comments were like, Oh my God, I missed the old guy. I really love the way he traveled. And then half the comments were, thank God that old guy is gone. I never liked the way he traveled. I love this new guy. So it's incredibly, incredibly subjective and you need to find, certainly I would never, you know, if everyone in the world followed my advice, a lot of them would be miserable. Um, but you need to find the people whose advice you, that sort of works for you and follow them. And there's lots and lots of choices out there. Also, you know, honest, quite honestly, guidebooks are still a good way to go. Like old fashioned guidebooks, Lonely Planet has a reputation of being for budget travel travelers. You know, that can provide a really good base of information that you can then supplement by stuff you find online. So if you bought a Lonely Planet guidebook to Argentina or something like that, and you could sort of, um, uh, sort of zoom in on a specific area, then you can look up on YouTube, you know, who's been doing videos down there. You can look up from blogs, like who has the best blog, uh, you know, to cover that, that area. And you'll always find like, you'll always find pretty much every country. There's somebody who blogs just, I remember I'm, I'm going to a wedding actually in Colombia, which is a great country to visit. I don't know how the fishing is, but these days, I mean, it's, it's so far removed now from the, from the civil war from a ways back. And, um, I just remember, I'm like, okay, somebody is going to have an English language blog about traveling around Colombia. And it's not only somebody there's like 10 of them, you know? So then you read those and you sort of think like, who sounds like me? Who has the sort of taste that I have? Who thinks the same things are funny that I do? Who, you know, when they talk about restaurants is, is sort of speaking to me, is, ma is making me hungry when they describe the food. And then, then you want to trust that person. If you've just been listening to me for an hour and a half and you're like, that guy's an idiot, then obviously you don't want to look up my articles. But if you're thinking, wow, that guy, you know, that's the sort of way I think I should travel. Well, then, you know, do I have a book for you? There you go. There you go, and uh, that book will be in the show notes, and I'll have a a link to it to make sure you know people can get to. I, I had just uh, a couple more quickies here, um, and you just got me thinking on the the Frugal Traveler, New York Times. Can you talk about? I mean, you left the the Frugal Traveler. Is that kind of you know why that happened? And do you have like is that like a, a revolving door as far as you know people who come into that position? I, I'm not totally familiar with it. Sure. Well, it's a column that's existed, I think, since maybe the late '90s. Uh, and about five or six people have done it. Oh, wow. Basically, what, so what happens is um, when you have a job like this, it's not quite the way it appears. So it looks like I'm just traveling around the world and having a great time. But in reality, I'm doing a lot of writing mm -hmm. and researching, and I'm often doing it on the road. And so after it seems like after about five years, everybody who's done it starts to get a little bit exhausted by it. So um, – you know, or you have a, a family or personal uh, issues like the guy before me had a, had a baby and he's like, well, that's it. I'm not yep. traveling around the world, <laughs> you know, when I have a newborn. 
Um, and th- so for one reason or another, people, people stop. Um, it's an, un- it's, it's great, but it's uncomfortable. It, it gets tiring to travel all the time for cheap, uh, and then to have to write about it consistently. So it's almost like you have a job that you're all, you're tra- it's like you have a job you have to travel for a lot more so than being like a, a, a just a, tu- a professional tourist. The good thing is the stuff you get to do for your job is not sit in meetings, but see amazing stuff. Gotcha. Uh, it's just a, it's just the sort of thing where after five or six years, um, one thing or another comes up and makes you think, well, it's time to move on to something else. Gotcha. For me, it was the YouTube, YouTube videos in the book were a big part of it. I, I wanted to, to write this book, uh, and I was getting into doing YouTube videos, and I just couldn't do all three. And just the thing to go was the column, and then someone else took over. They've sort of already left. Uh, they only stuck around for a couple years, and so now it's kind of, uh, you know, um, I guess they're looking for someone new to do another five or six years. There you go. Um, and you just remind me there just talking about doing the work. And it seems like that is, you know, as a writer, I've had a few, you know, big fly fishing writers on the show. And I think I've asked this question at least once or twice, but you know, that resistance, you know, Stephen Pressfield from the war of art talks about, you know, every day you got to battle resistance, you know, that little thing, whatever it is in your head, you know, talking back to you. I mean, how do you do it? I mean, are you writing every day and how do you, you know, make a life? Do you have a tip for somebody who maybe wants to get more into writing? Uh, sure. Well, you do need to write a lot. Um, I, but I found that I have limits to how much I can write. So if I have to have a big, I try to, when I write, I write for an, I found that an hour and 15 minutes at a time is about all I can stand before I take a break. And I don't mean take a break and go watch TV, take a break and look at email or or read something I need to read or make some phone calls. So everyone is different. There are some people who can sit around and write and write and write. Mm -hmm. The most important thing is if you're getting into writing or you want to start a blog or, or, um, then is to get a lot of feedback from people. Uh, most people are not good writers the first time around. And that includes, professional writers uh we, we have we have editors oh right really? so you uh, see professional writers yeah. at the at the new york times that that uh it, it takes an editor to make it good work yeah sure um in fact quite often i i huh. just turned in a, a story uh about queens new york which is the a, a borough of of the city that it has a it's incredible incredible food and restaurants it did it about like how to get into the the food of queens and i turned it in uh just a couple of days ago and i have no idea whether my editor is going to say this is great or this needs to be completely redone uh it's just not something that can be done alone even great books uh yeah. have a lot of read, read the acknowledgments of any book that you think is a great book and there's going to be a list of 25 people who helped in one way or another. They read the early drafts or they edit, they edited it or they fact checked it. I mean, I paid someone 3000 bucks to fact check my book because, uh, because I, I didn't want there to be any inaccuracies in there. My book got edited by two or sometimes three different people in the publisher. It's just not something it can be done alone. Oh, look, my mom actually amazingly does a blog, and um, and it's just a, it's an informal blog. It's it's called the seventy something blog. If anyone wants to look it up, mm-hmm. she's in, well, she's now in her eighties, but she did it when she was in her seventies, <laughs> and she, 
I know I know for a fact that she doesn't publish anything without anyone else looking at it because my dad reads them all before they're published. So at the very least, you at least need a family member who's willing to criticize you to say, look, this works, this doesn't work. And that goes from the most basic beginning writer to the, you know, to the most professional writer possible. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's a good, good insight for sure. Okay. Well, we are about there. I just wanted to, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave a lot on the table here, <laughs> but I did have one uh, question I occasionally like to ask. Um, you know, all the stuff you've done, the traveling, everything. I mean, what is your, you know, your superpower? If you, if you kind of think it, what's that thing, you know, that really you do better than anything else, do you think, in, in life or in travel? Well, I think if we can talk about in, uh, I guess, in travel, it's just being open to any new experience that comes my way and being, being willing to, to not to not take my plans yeah. very seriously and just go off and go down a road or knock on a yeah. door. Have or, you had some bad ones? Somebody. Have you had some bad, experiences? some bad experiences doing that? You know, it's funny. Uh, I, you know, I haven't had any, I really haven't. Hmm. I've had some boring experiences yeah. where it didn't lead anywhere. Yeah. And I've certainly had some experiences where it's been very uncomfortable because you're talking to people who really don't want to talk to you. Yep. Um, but I've never, you've never been locked up in jail or anything like that. Never been locked up in jail. Well, at least not for, uh, not for during my travels. I <laughs> once did get uh, arrested for, uh, drinking with an open container, oh, visiting a friend of college, but yep. that's, uh, you know, that's, that's back in the day. That's right. That's back in another century. So we won't really we, get into we've that. All, I know yeah. I've <laughs> never been, I've never been hurt. I've never been, but I will say that that, that to some extent might be luck. Um, so you do always want to be a little bit careful. And as, uh, so often people will say to me, well, you know, you either got lucky or you're a man and I'm a woman. So uh, maybe I, I wouldn't take that kind of a risk. You know, it all depends on who you are, how experienced of a travel you, you are, uh, how comfortable you are talking to strangers. Everyone has to sort of measure it on their own. But I just think that one of the things I do, I, I, I'm able to do is just sort of find my way into interesting situations that I can then write about. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's awesome. No, it makes sense. All right, Seth, well, I'm going to let you get out of here. We've uh, definitely stretched it out here. I, I'm, uh, you know, I, I'll keep up with you for sure in the next uh, six to 12 months. Is there um, anything new you want to let us know you have going or either, you know, work or uh, personally out there? Um, no, just, uh, just that my book will be out in paperback uh, in November um, oh, cool. but, and I have a bunch of, and a bunch of articles coming out in the New York times over the next few weeks. So you can always just Google me or look at the New York times and type in my name or go to my website, oh, sethgoogle.com. Cool. I'll always post that stuff there. So do there's always have, new stuff. Do you have one, if you could just off the top of your head, one, uh, article that you're most proud of, or maybe something that's the most popular we can go look at. Um, yeah, I kind of like my article about the do it yourself safari in Africa. Oh, cool. Uh, you can find that on my website. I think it's in, I have a, uh, you can click on favorites. I think it's called favorites. Anyway, you'll, you'll see it's like my favorite articles and there's, I think there's maybe 10 articles there. It's called, okay. Yeah. If you click on articles and then it opens up a menu and you click best of, okay. Uh, find the ones that I think are my top ones. And that includes go. the. 
the the animals one. Perfect. All right, Seth. Well, I I just want to thank you for coming on here. This is definitely, um, you know, I think I usually talk a lot about fly fishing, but, uh, you know, you bring a good resource here. And um, I'll put uh, links to everything we've talked about here in the show notes, and and I'll keep up with you. And if folks have questions, uh, sethkugel.com is where they can connect with you. Yeah, it's easy to get in touch with me via email that way, or, you know, I'm on Twitter, Seth Kugel, Instagram, that kind of stuff. But email is probably the best way to send me a question. Good, good. Well, I know you're busy, but, you know, down the line, I'd love to get you back on to follow up and to try to cover some of the other stuff we, we didn't hit on today. But uh, but until then, I just want to uh, thank you again, and, and we'll see you soon. Sure. Thanks so much. All right. See ya. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 82. I'd love to connect you with some of our partner companies and help you along your journey. I know uh, we're just getting started here, and uh, people in the uh, in the society are definitely connecting with some of our great uh, partner companies. Go to wetflyswing.com slash members to find out how to get exclusive discounts and bonuses uh, from our great companies and go deeper with the podcast at one convenient location. Thanks again for stopping by to check out the show today. I'm looking forward to catching up with you soon and hope to maybe see you online or on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.